Well, good evening, y'all. How's everybody doing? Doing good? Does everyone have a handout? A revelation handout? I guess I gave my cards away. Everyone got, does everyone have a notebook that wants a notebook? Well, you know, I was, tell, I was telling Ryan this. It's the greatest prank of all time. Uh, 66, Bibles, uh, 66 Bible books in 66 weeks. Well, I did it in two weeks. That's how good I am. Uh, no, that, that's not it. Uh, I, I, I am, to let y'all in on a little secret, to let y'all in on a little secret of our, of our scheduling, I, I have decided to do the, the bookends, Genesis and Revelation first, because uh, I believe the Lord speaks to us in a unique way in, in these two books of the Bible, uh, because they are at the beginning and the end. Uh, but uh, after we do Genesis and Revelation, we won't start in Exodus, so Larry, don't read through the book of Exodus again, uh, but uh, we're going to go to the Gospel of Matthew. The reason why we're going to do that is because you get Genesis and you get Revelation. Well, we're talking about Jesus, so it might be wise for us to get a book that talks about Jesus. And so we're going to talk about Jesus a little bit in the Gospel of Matthew, and then we'll do the book of Psalms, because everyone needs the book of Psalms, and then we'll start with Exodus and march our way through. Uh, But we'll do a few that I think uh, will perhaps uh, carry the most profit with it to begin with. And And so we come now to the book of Revelation. Does everyone have a Bible that needs a Bible? Well, we're going to do a little look in here today. There's, we have some, some, uh, some Bibles over here on the, on the stand if you need some, if you, if you need one. Uh, while, while y'all are getting your Bibles and opening up to Revelation, you know, Revelation interpretation can be a little tricky. Uh, it seems like maybe everyone might have a differing opinion on Revelation. At least it can seem like that uh, when you have conversations with people. The big word is eschatology, uh, end times, what's going to happen. Uh, Revelation interpretation can be tricky. There's a lot going on. Uh, it's a different genre than we're used to reading in the Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's, it's written differently. Uh, it, it pulls from the majority of the books of the Bible. Uh, There are reference upon reference upon reference upon image upon theme that you find throughout the other 67 books. Uh, It's quite remarkable to see, and yet also uh, not surprising, because the book of Revelation was given to us uh, and is one of the only books given to us uh, by the mouth of Jesus Christ himself. Uh, Jesus actually gave us the book of Revelation. Uh, That's what uh, the first chapter tells us. John records it. What's happening? Oh, sorry. 65. I added one. That's just Larry keeping me on track there uh, for those listening in the interwebs. Um, (laughs) uh, But but you know, that, that reality uh, that, 
that Revelation pulls from all of the rest of the Bible uh, is, is one that can complicate our interpretation. Because, uh, for instance, if you're not familiar with Ezekiel 3, where the Lord tells Ezekiel to eat the scroll that he is giving him, and then it's going to be as sweet as honey, but it's going to taste bitter going down, you won't recognize the same exact words that are used in the book of Revelation. Likewise, when you see the measurements of the temple at the end of the book of Ezekiel, uh, you won't realize that that's an exact, uh, almost to the dot, uh, measurement that we see in the book of Revelation when we're measuring the new temple and the new Jerusalem. Uh, on and on these uh, different references to scripture go, and, uh, and, and we can miss them if, if we're not uh, actively reading our scripture and looking to see uh, what might be in there for us. Revelation interpretation can be tricky. After all, it deals with the fate of humanity. At the very least, as we open up to the book of Revelation tonight, uh, I want to give you not an exhaustive look at Revelation because that would take me much, much longer. Uh, it would be an endeavor that would take uh, an entire uh, you know, uh, Wednesday night Bible study just like we're doing with the survey of the Bible if we were to kind of delve into the depths of the book of Revelation. But my hope is at the very least to give y'all the ability with this handout and with this short lesson, uh, a way into Revelation for yourselves. There are a lot of interpretations out there. There are a lot of books out there. There are a lot more articles out there. And there are a lot more Facebook posts, blog posts, uh, one-offs, and people in your church, including this one, who will have a lot to say about Revelation, and they haven't quite read all of it. And it might be wrong. And so my hope is that after tonight, you'll be able to dive into the book of Re Revelation for yourself. You'll be able to read it, and you'll be able to do so with confidence and with clarity. Because the Lord did not mean uh, for his people to be confused when we come to this last book. In fact, the Lord meant for us to have great confidence as we come to the final book of God's revealed will to us. And we see that there is victory in Jesus. And so at the very least, uh, no matter our interpretation, I want y'all to realize from the very beginning, we're in Revelation 1, by the way, that there is blessing to reading the book of Revelation. How do I know that? Because scripture tells me, Revelation 1, 3, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. There is great blessing now for people to read the book of Revelation. Also, uh, a good practice for us to have a baseline as we enter into this lesson on Revelation, this short lesson, is, uh, is the principle of allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture. Uh, you don't have to flip there, but at the end of Revelation, chapter 22, just a few verses from the very last verse, verse 18, uh, we see uh, John uh, and, of course, uh, the Lord speaking through John tell us, do not add to these words. If you do, you are condemned. Do not take away from these words. If you do, you lose your salvation. And so we see a very real principle at hand of, of not taking away or adding to, but letting Scripture stand as God's word to his people and seeing what it would say and allowing Scripture to interpret Scripture Rather than us kind of diving in headlong and giving our opinions, Scripture actually speaks 
about itself. And we'll see that as we compare certain parts of Revelation. And I hope that it will be, uh, this will be the last time I use this, very revelatory. Uh, I don't know. I, I had to include it. Uh, another kind of baseline, they, they, they go together. It's really, it's really two baselines. We've got to be careful with inconsistencies when we come to the book of Revelation. And, and, and that's because we need to remember what genre we're in. Uh, by inconsistencies, I mean uh, when is it literal and when is it figurative? When is it prophecy and when is it now? It can be very dangerous for us to make solid claims that certain pieces of Revelation are literal while saying that other pieces are definitely prophetic or definitely allegorical or definitely uh, you, you know, uh, purely imagery or metaphor or any of these other uses of the literary language. It, the book of Revelation uh, translated, it would be the Apocalypse of John. The, the old KJV Bibles, they have it like that. It, it's not the book of Revelation. It's the Apocalypse of John. And, and, and Apocalypse in Greek means reveal. And so we see the Revelation, and we see the Apocalypse, and that's the genre that we're in. It's apocalyptic literature. It's the apocalyptic genre. We don't see this very much in our Bible. We see it in Daniel a little bit. We see it in Thessalonians a little bit. We hear it from uh, the lips of our Savior, uh, Jesus, a little bit, the Gospel of Matthew in particular. But all in all, we don't really see apocalyptic literature except for in the book of Revelation. An easy way to explain uh, apocalyptic literature, uh, the genre of apocalypse, it's like opening up a pop-up book. Uh, you open up a pop-up book, you know, if you have a child or a grandchild and, or, you know, niece or nephew, you open it up and, you know, a little house pops up. And you see it and as you're reading the story. You're really looking at a picture. Uh, another way to put it would be like a, you know, graphic novel or a comic book. Uh, what's playing out before you is in picture format. That's how John is writing, is in picture. Uh, the things that he's describing are all pictures and images and so we're forced with our imagination to see what it is that he's saying. Uh, for instance, Satan is a dragon. Babylon, that city that you know, drove uh, the nations uh, of Israel and Judah into exile, uh, that was uh, kind of code for Rome. Babylon, seen as a prostitute, a temptress, a harlot. These, these things bring images into our head. And these images continue to play out. And we'll see that as we look at some of the uh, examples in Revelation. And so, as a, as a baseline, what we need to remember is that as we look to see and interpret what it is that we're reading in Revelation, uh, we need to be careful of our own inconsistencies. Uh, one very obvious one uh, that is a major one for, for faithful and biblical believers, don't hear me wrong, is a thousand years. We take a thousand years to be literal. We assume that the millennium is either going to happen after Christ comes and will stay for a thousand years, or it's going to be a thousand years and, and then Christ will come, or uh, somehow there's some 1,000 years that's going to literally play out. But if that's the only thing that we take literally from Revelation, well, that could be an inconsistency. 
Uh, I'm not saying that, that uh, those who hold to certain interpretations uh, are inconsistent. However, uh, it can be an inconsistency if we're not thinking about it. You'll see what I mean as we continue forward. But as we establish these baselines and as we, as we look to see what Revelation has for us, uh, it's important that you see the, the, the seven repeats, the structure of Revelation. If you'll notice in the handout that y'all have uh, on the back, there, there's a lot on the front, context, connection. I give a little bit of um, preface to the solid rock verses this time because they don't look the same as Genesis, if you recall from last week. Here, we have two sections. Uh, we see kind of in the first bullet, uh, these, this one through seven sections, Revelation one through three, four through seven, eight through 11, and on, and on, uh, so on and so forth. This reality uh, that, we, that we see before us as we uh, purposefully read Revelation, if you were to go through it, you begin to see that John uh, and that Jesus kind of speaking to John is repeating himself. They are just seven repetitions of the same story. And that story is that Jesus Christ came to earth. He fulfilled that which God called him to do, which was to live a perfect life, die a death for his people. He, death couldn't hold him, so he was raised from the dead. He now sits on the throne and intercedes for his people. That's the first coming of Jesus. Now we are waiting on the second coming. What we see in the book of Revelation is from first coming all the way through to second coming. And John repeats it seven times. An easy comparison. Uh, there, there are many here, as I said, uh, sadly, uh, in the time that we have, we can't see them all. But an easy comparison will be with the seven trumpets of judgment and the seven bowls of wrath. Uh, if you look on your solid rock verse handout, uh, this will be section three. Eight through 11 is the seven trumpets. And then uh, section five, Revelation 15 and 16. So if you would flip with me uh, quickly to Revelation 8. What we're going to do here is I I'm just going to walk y'all through the actual comparisons. I'm going to show y'all how this is actually a repeat story. Uh, what John is, is showing is first coming to second coming uh, that, that uh, it actually happens and can be seen in scripture rather than maybe a, a line, a, a, a continuum where, okay, we have the you know, this first section with churches, and then we have the next section with seals. That's the, that's the second section that we see if you look at your solid rock verse. And then because of the seals, the trumpets are blown. And then because the trumpets are blown, the witnesses happen. And because of the witnesses, these, uh, it's not successive. Rather, it's all heaped on top of one another, like a seven-layer salad. Who has, the, who has the seven-layer salad here that people bring? There's always somebody in the church that brings a seven-layer salad. Uh, I, can, I can name uh, a couple seven-layer salads from uh, Rebecca and I's old church, Fayetteville ARP. Uh, listen, you get full on that stuff. But, but the seven-layer salad, that's what it looks like. It's images stacked on top of one another. My old seminary professor used to explain it that way. I prefer the comic book. I think it's a little easier for us to see that way, but I like to eat seven-layer salad as well. Um, so, so chapter 8, verse 7, we see the first trumpet. The angel blew his trumpet. There followed hail and fire mixed with blood. And these were thrown upon the earth, and a third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Let's look to chapter 16, verse 2. 
An easy way for us to do this is I just hold, when I, when I open up the Bible, I just hold the pages. And so we can kind of easily flip right back and forth because we're going to go through it pretty quickly. So the first trumpet was uh, blown and a third uh, uh, of the earth was burned up and the trees and the grass. And in verse 16, I mean chapter 16, verse 2, we see the first bowl of wrath. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the earth. And harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. And so at first you might be thinking, Jeremiah, that has nothing to do with one another. You'll see what, what's happening as we continue to look at these comparisons. Notice who's being affected. Uh, remember I said that these are, different, uh, these are different images of the same thing. However, it's from different viewpoints. The seven trumpets is not explaining it from exactly the same viewpoint as the seven bowls of wrath. You see, the seven bowls of wrath were poured out out, uh, purposefully upon the people who bore the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. In other words, non-believers. Continue to have that idea in your mind of who is being affected. Uh, So we flip back to chapter 8, verse 8. The second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain Burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. And now if you go with me to chapter 16, verse 3, the second angel poured out his bowl into the sea, and it became like the blood of a corpse, and every living thing died that was in the sea. Continue with me. Eight, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 10. The third angel blew his trumpet, and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. See with me in chapter 16, verse 4. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs of water, and they became blood. Keep going. Uh, it, It will seem like it's redundant, but that's important to us if we're going to see that it's a repeat. Uh, If this is a similar thing that's happening. Uh, Chapter 8, verse 12. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. Go with me to chapter 16, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were scorched by the fierce heat, and they cursed the name of God, who had power over these plagues. They did not repent and give him glory. Now listen, the trumpet is revealing that something's happening to the sun. The bowl is revealing that something's happening to the sun. But it's a much different viewpoint that we see from the trumpet's viewpoint. If you were to use the trumpet as a person, you're seeing the earth in its totality, right? Things are happening, and a third of things are getting killed. Well... When you look from the bowl's viewpoint, everything's getting killed because you're a part of the third. Uh, Those people are getting scorched by the sun while the rest of the world is being preserved. Continue with me, though. We're almost done. Just five, six, and seven left. Chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. The fifth angel blew the trumpet. I saw a star falling from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. And then we see in chapter 16, verse 10, the fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast. 
and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. If you recall uh, from chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, the sun and the air were darkened with smoke. Uh, We go to uh, our sixth trumpet, chapter 9, verses 13 and 14. Uh, The sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns at the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. We go to chapter 16, verse 12. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings of the east. And then finally, 11, verses 15 through 19. This is the final trumpet sounding. Uh, We'll read it in its entirety uh, because it's important for us to see a few things here. uh, And then we'll go to chapter 16 to see the final bowl. This is 11, 15 through 19. The seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged. But your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Likewise, we go to chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. Now you see the difference here in our viewpoints. Uh, I hope that you're able to see and to track with the very serious similarities that we see between these two instances with the trumpets and the bowls. Uh, It it is the same instance being repeated, but from a much different viewpoint. And we see that clearly articulated with the seventh trumpet blow because we see the 24 elders viewpoint. They fall down before God and praise him. But the viewpoint from those who are being judged in unrepentance at the last day, well, that bowl of wrath is poured out and there is no chance for praise or for repentance. It is done. The judgment is complete. It's the same story from a different view. Trumpets is the whole world. Uh, We see it through the eyes of the saints at the end, the bowls. That's the third, as it were, with the trumpets that that are perishing. Uh, Now, if you're still looking for maybe some more similarities and repetition and and repeats that we see in the story, uh, just pay attention to the rumblings. Uh, we look at verse, uh, chapter 8, verse 5 first. I'll let y'all flip there. You know, there are, there are uh, a plethora of different repeats within each of these seven sections. I'm focusing on uh, the, the trumpets and the, and the bowls because that's the easiest one to see, in my opinion. But there are, there are many others uh, that you will be able to find as you dive into Revelation. Uh, here's, a, here's another easy one that I think uh, work, works uh, uh, well to reveal this. Chapter 8, verse 5, this is a different section. This is the the seals. 
So uh, if you recall, uh, maybe you're familiar with the story uh, of, in the book of Revelation, there's this scroll with seals on it. And, and everyone is weeping. John is weeping because no one can open it. And yet a lamb covered in blood with seven eyes can open the seals and can open the scroll. And so we see these seals unleashing and we see all these things happening. And this is, this is upon the final seal opening, which, if you recall, will be in line with the trumpets and with the bowls. Three layers of the seven layer salad, if we were to put it that way. All right, this is chapter 8, verse 5. This is right after the final seal is open. The angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth. And there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Go to eleven nineteen with me. This is after the seventh trumpet has sounded. God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, Peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. And then likewise, our bowl of wrath, chapter 16, verse 18. This is after the bowl is poured out, it is done, and there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a great earthquake, such as there had never been been since man was on the earth. Uh, So great was that earthquake. And lest you forget about the hail, go down to verse 21. And great hailstones, about 100 pounds each, fell from heaven on people. And they cursed God for the plague of the hail because the plague was so severe. Just another example of a different viewpoint. When you are not in Christ, of course, all there can be is fear and hate of a totally good God. Because there is nothing good in you. So there's similarities. I hope that, I hope that, that point is, is well taken. That, that as you read through these seven sections that you have here uh, on the back of your handout. And, and as you begin to read the book of Revelation. You begin to compare for yourselves. And start to realize that, that there is a repeat. But, but what else is there? Well, there's a lot more. We can only cover a little bit. I think one that might be good for us to cover uh, are... Uh, the, the symbols and the images. I mentioned a few. You know, Ezekiel's eating of the scroll that happens in Ezekiel 3. The temple uh, measurements, which happens at the end of Ezekiel. The river of life, which happens at the end of Ezekiel. The throne of David, uh, which happens all throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament with Jesus. The marriage supper of the Lamb, which we see Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper when he's recognizing that there will be another supper, a marriage supper with the Lamb that the Lord's Supper looks to. There's the noetic covenant, that rainbow you see when the Lord is seated on the throne in the book of Revelation. You'll find this in chapter 4. When, when the Lord is seated on the throne, there is a rainbow that encircles his head. Now, I don't want to step too far out of Scripture, but when I think to myself, if there's a rainbow encircling my head, no matter where I look, I'm going to see the rainbow. What is the rainbow there for? Well, God promised Noah, but with the sign of the rainbow, and he covenanted with him that he would never totally destroy everything again. There would always be a remnant. He would never do what he did when he saved Noah only. 
And so we see with the rainbow, a hearkening back even to Noah and the ark. We see on and on, Ezekiel 1 in the image of, of the Son of Man, and, and we see him uh, you know, with these kind of very intense descriptors, uh, like his, you know, his, his loins look as if they are filled with jasper, and you know, his body is shining. We see this in Revelation as well. Uh, we see uh, the suffering servant and the lamb from Isaiah. We see it here prevalent in Revelation. On and on you'll go. Uh, I always suggest... When uh, people are talking about Revelation and trying to kind of fully articulate what it is that they believe about Revelation and what Revelation is telling us. I always tell people, how many times have you read scripture front to back? And they'll answer, well, I've tried to read the Bible all the way through once, you know, in my life. I finished it, so I thought that'd be okay. The book of Revelation is calling us to read scripture time and time again. Because the more we read the entirety of Scripture, the more we will realize that Jesus Christ himself, from the lips of Jesus this book came, and that Jesus Christ himself is saying over and over, see it in the rest of Scripture. It is not only here. See it in the rest of Scripture. These symbols are so powerful. They reveal to us these images. And yet we see these images all throughout the rest of the 65 books of the Bible. Praise God for it. One other thing I think I want to cover before we end is time. Time is an important one. I mentioned it before with the 1,000 years. How is time dealt with in Revelation? This may reveal my cards, and that's okay, but the, the book of Revelation... The Apocalypse of John is just that, apocalyptic. It's a genre that is like a comic book, like a pop-up story. The numbers that you see in it are not literal. They're representative. They're figurative. They're symbols for something else. See it with me. Uh, In chapters 11, 12, and 13, uh, we don't have to flip to every one. Uh, Maybe we'll just open up to 11 and I'll find you one. Uh, Verses 2 and 3. This is a good example. In verses 2, do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Verse 3, I will grant authority to my two witnesses and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, we see 1,260 days. We see 42 months. Elsewhere in the book of Revelation, we see three and a half days. We also see time, times, and half a time. We also see 1,000 years. Now, 1,000 years, uh, the reason why people seem to take it literally is because it falls outside of the anomaly of the other references to time. However, I think when we see these other references of time, it helps us to uh, get a grasp on what's happening And just another view, the last section of Revelation. And so, you know, 1,260 days, well, uh, John did a little rounding down. You know, he didn't use 365, but 360 plus 360 plus 360 plus 180, well, that's 1,260 days. That's That's also one plus one plus one plus a half. Well, that's three and a half. What about 42 months? Well, that's also 1,260 days if you just wanted to multiply it out, uh, 42 months times 30. But it's also 12 plus 12 plus 12 plus 6. 1 plus 1 plus 1 plus a half. 
Now, what about time, times, and half a time? We see that in the book of Daniel, in case you were wondering. Daniel chapter 7. And in Daniel chapter 7, we see the same thing. Time, times, and half a time. It's a Hebrew idiom. And it means one plus two plus a half. Time, singular. Times, plural. There's three. And a half a time. Three and a half. And so when we see these times playing themselves out, uh, we see that it's representative, that it's figurative, that it's showing us from the beginning, from when Christ defeated death himself and rose to be seated on the throne and then reigns and rules supreme for his people with all the trials and tribulations that come along with this life all the way until the very end when it culminates in his second coming. And listen, when Jesus comes again, I'm not going to tell you what's literal and what's figurative because all the rules are thrown off. All right. Uh, we see, you know, I didn't mention this when we were talking about symbols and images from the rest of Scripture. But in Daniel chapter 7, the Son of Man comes on the clouds to judge the living and the dead. Well, the Son of Man comes on the clouds is referenced in Revelation. Uh, we see it time and again uh, that Christ is revealing himself in the Old Testament and the New Testament and, and then ultimately. Wrapping it all together like a, uh, you know, those, when I was little, I used to like to put rubber bands, you know, crunch up a little piece of foil or piece of paper, put rubber bands around it, make a rubber band ball. It's like in Revelation, we see this rubber band ball being created out of all of the pages of scripture. And then he has it and he says, look, I told you it was all there from the very beginning. It was all there and it's all come together here at the end. 1,260 days, 42 months, three and a half days, time, times and half a time. And 1,000 years. There are, there are those who are, who are faithful and true to the scriptures who hold a different interpretation than I do. If you're wondering where the 1,000 years, the millennium comes into play, well, it's in chapter 20. And it's talking about when Satan is thrown into the pit for 1,000 years and will be released from the pit at the end of the 1,000 years to then be ultimately judged after he deceives the nations. That's a conversation for another day, one that if you are particularly interested in the end times, we could definitely talk about, uh, but we definitely don't have enough time now. Uh, suffice it to say that your minister, after reading scripture time and time again, after reading thousands of pages on this very issue, uh, I have come to the conclusion that I believe the 1,000 years is just as figurative as the three and a half days and the 1,260 and the time, times, and half a time and the 42 months and on and on. That does not mean that you have to agree with me, though, because there are those that uh, I respect much more than myself uh, that take a different stance. Uh, at the very least, uh, what we see with these numbers, uh, of course, if you, uh, excluding 1,000 years, if you don't take my interpretation, uh, what you see with these numbers is a representative and symbolic reality of Jesus' first coming, going through all the end to a culmination at the second coming. Uh, it, this, this symbolism is the same when we zoom out and look at other numbers. We're coming to a, a, an end of our night, and so we can't look at all of them. There are a lot of numbers, 144,000. There's the, uh, the perfect square. When you measure the New Jerusalem, that's interesting because the Holy of Holies was a perfect square. Uh, there is twelves uh, and, and uh, all these other, you know, apostles and the tribes of Judah. There are a lot of numbers that are representative. And yet, let's just look at one, seven. Uh, seven, of course, denoting perfection. Uh, it's a 
uh, kind of used all throughout Scripture, used by the Lord himself. In fact, when John writes down these words that are given to him by Jesus Christ, well, it's on the first and seven days, the Lord's day, one and seven. It's on that first day out of seven. And so then we see the seven lampstands representing the seven churches. That would be uh, section one where you would find that. We see seven stars in Jesus' hands. Uh, we see seven crowns on his head, uh, probably representing that glory that he receives from the totality of the churches, right? Seven churches, meaning the universal church, all of them in their perfection and in their confession of Jesus. Well, there are seven eyes on the lamb because he is an all-seeing God, even in sacrifice. There are seven seals that he breaks, seven trumpets that are blown, seven bowls that are poured out in wrath, seven thunders that are too glorious for us to have recorded in word. In fact, an angel told John, do not record these. They are not meant for the people. They are too glorious, the seven thunders from the temple and from the Lord. And then, of course, if you zoom out even more, the seven sections that John writes time and time again. He's saying, one, Jesus is victorious. He came, he conquered, he defeated. Two, Jesus is victorious. He came, he conquered, and defeated. And on and on, he came, he conquered, and he defeated I wrote the theme, a one sentence, on the front page of our handout. Jesus Christ is victorious over all his enemies, namely death, the devil, and the devil's helpers, which gives Jesus Christ's followers ultimate comfort and peace in an uncomfortable and war-filled world. The book of Revelation is meant for right now, and it's meant to comfort because Jesus is victorious. Now, to close, in our zoomed out view of the seven sections of Revelation, there's something interesting about the first and the last. The first one is the three church, uh, the uh, sorry, the seven churches in Revelation one through three. Everyone loves Revelation one through three. Very easy to understand. Uh, all pastors, uh, I think I've never met a minister. Worth his salt, who hasn't done a series on Revelation 1 through 3. Because it's letters to the churches. Uh, you have lost your first love. You are lukewarm. And I spit out lukewarm water. You are neither hot nor cold. You are zealous for the word. And this will be counted for you. You have lost the word. And this will be counted against you. The applications are so real and they're so tangible because of all the seven images of Christ's coming all the way through to subsequent dominion in the second coming, the first section is the closest to Christ's first coming. It's letters to the churches, letters to all the churches. And so we see as we continue forward that, that, that on, this, on this side and, and in this closeness, uh, there is great tangibility, but that tangibility doesn't go away as we progress and we keep going until the last of the seven sections. And the last of the se seven sections, just like the first, leaning this 
way, towards the first coming, well, the last one leans this way, towards the second coming. Everyone who has been around the church for a little while has heard verses from Revelation chapters 20 through 22. If you look on your solid rock verses, I just have a few there. I could have, I could have listed them all. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. At the very end, at the culmination of God's word revealed to us, we see something very special. We see uh, the bride being presented to the groom, the bride being the church, universal, the groom being Jesus Christ. We see that elsewhere in scripture. Uh, But look with me at chapter 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. Likewise, if you look with me, chapter 21, verse 9 and 10. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Remember who the bride is, the universal church, us. Verse 10, he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. You know, there's that song, I don't know the exact words, but, you know, we stroll along the streets of gold, right? The song's wrong. We are the streets of gold. This apocalypse, this genre is revealing to us what God thinks about us. In the name of Jesus, he sees us as his chosen dwelling place. Perfect, pearly gates, golden streets, jewel encrusted and all. He's describing God's people. This is one of those things where we can be inconsistent, right? Because we like the jokes about Peter standing at the pearly gates. But Peter is the pearly gates. And you and I are the pearly gates. God is describing us. And the reality of what it means for us to dwell with him and for him to dwell in us. And then lastly, chapter 22, we see some very interesting things happening. Verse 22, 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life. Well, now we're out of Revelation. Now we're all the way to the entirety of Scripture. Because in scripture we saw in Genesis, when God created everything and it was all good, and Adam and Eve sinned and they fell, what happened? An angel was placed with swords guarding the tree of life, lest they eat of it. They were no longer allowed to eat of the tree of life, and so they died. But here we see at the very end, they have been given the right to the tree of life. And that right has been given to them in the name of Jesus Christ by the merits of Jesus Christ. Jesus is victorious. John says it seven times, and he says it a myriad 
different times, all throughout each seven sections, he says, Jesus is victorious. And because of that, you are victorious. Now that's a good word. All right, we got a few minutes. Y'all have any questions? I'm being serious. If you have a question, I, don't, be, don't, don't be offended if I say I don't know, though. If not, we can pray, but I'll give you all a few more seconds. No questions. I, I'm glad. You know, that means I answered everything there was to answer about the book of Revelation. Or I gave you so many questions that you don't know which one to ask me, and so I'm going to be getting a, a lot of emails. But uh, I pray and I hope that this was a benefit. Let's always remember Revelation 1.3. Blessed are we if we read these words out loud. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for the book of Revelation, the apocalypse. Uh, Father, we come to it in fear and trembling, and yet, Lord, we thank you that, uh, that you reveal to us throughout the entirety of Scripture how we might be able to begin to see it and to understand what it is you have for us there, and that is the victory of Jesus Christ over Satan, over his helpers, and over death. Lord, help us to stand in this confidence until we might meet again. In Jesus' name, amen.